Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. When thinking about your journey towards better health, do you think about water? It's no secret. We know how important it is to drink water, but we often forget to consider the quality and safety of the water we are drinking every day. Research shows that despite where you live, there is a high likelihood your tap water may not be as clean and safe as you think. Clearly Filtered is on a mission to help you and your family stay hydrated, healthy, and safe by providing the best filtered water products on the market today. Clearly Filtered makes insanely powerful water filters that completely blow the competitors out of the water. Clearly Filtered is independently tested and certified to remove over 272 harmful chemicals and toxins found in our drinking water today. They are easy to work with, family-owned, made in the USA, and passionate about trying to help provide us with clean and safe water every day. I love that Clearly Filtered is affordable compared to many other untested alternatives, has portable filtered water products to take on the go, and helps you stay safe and hydrated everywhere. Clearly filtered products are also eco-friendly and can significantly reduce plastic and water waste through their patented filtered technology. Join the tens of thousands of new customers today who have joined Clearly Filtered in the quest for better health through clean and safe water. Go to clearlyfiltered.com and use the code JUSTINGREDIENTS to save 15% off your order today. Dr. Kara Fitzgerald is the first ever recipient of the Emerging Leadership Award from the Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute in recognition of her work on DNA methylation. As a leading voice in the intersection of nutrition, epigenetics, and aging, Dr. Fitzgerald's work has been featured in media outlets such as Prevention, Fast Company, MSN, Everyday Health, and many more. Receiving her doctorate from National University of Natural Medicine, she is on the faculty at the Institute for Functional Medicine and is an IFM certified practitioner with a clinical practice in Newtown, Connecticut. Welcome, Dr. Fitzgerald, to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Absolutely. It is really a pleasure to talk with you today. Well, thank you. Will you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you became interested in studying nutrition, genetics, things like that? Yeah. Well, I am, let me just say going way, 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 way back, I grew up with a really nutritionally savvy mom. So I sort of have that foundational training, I think, in my genetics, in my epigenome. Um, I rebelled. I, I, my big threat when I was a kid was I'm going to go eat Oreos. And indeed I did for a period of time, but then I came back in the fold when I ended up getting fatigued. So I don't want to go too far into that, but it, I would, I developed chronic fatigue around the time I was thinking about medical school and I ended up being healed by a naturopathic physician. And that prompted me to want to go on to nature, to study naturopathic medicine, which I did after I graduated, I did a postdoc in laboratory science. And so I had this combination of uh, naturopathic training, which is steeped in nutrition. It also is steeped in systems thinking where you're thinking about the whole being whole person and then layer onto that laboratory science. I'm really, I have a strong affinity towards nutritional biochemistry and laboratory science. And that is what ushered me into ultimately being somebody to research the a diet and lifestyle intervention on what we call epigenetics. And I know we're going to define it. I've just thrown out a ton of $10 words, but so I have this real geeky sort of lab side, but I also have this very foundational grounded training in naturopathic medicine. And together, I think it's kind of a neat combination. And it was both those sides of my career that led to this interesting research that we're going to talk about. Well, yeah, we are going to talk about some interesting research. And in fact, let's start with epigenetics because that word gets thrown around quite often. And so let's explain to the listeners what that actually means. Sure. So epi is above. That means that, that that's the prefix for, the, for above. And genetics is our genetic material. So it's above DNA. We can think about it really simply. And well, what is that? Well, it's all of the factors that are 
regulating which of our genes are on and which of our genes are off. It's a field of science, epigenetics, that is just booming in research. We thought that DNA really dictated our fate, but by and large, it does not. All of the gene mutations you might be aware of if you ran a 23andMe or, you know, you might look at your parents or your grandparents and say, I'm just like them. I'm either going to live a really long life. I can do whatever I want. I can eat however I want. I can smoke, but because my parents lived a long time, I will. Or conversely, I'm going to be sick and there's nothing I can do about it because my parents were. We think that our genes are our destiny and we know now that they're not for the most part. And that epigenetics, how our genes are expressed, is really where the rubber meets the road. So there's this massive change in science in our thinking in this in the in the scientific and medical world. We are in the driver's seat of our lives, much more so than we than we thought. And we're studying that again through the field of epigenetics. Thank you for explaining that. So For instance, we used to think like, oh, my mom was depressed, therefore I'll have depression, where now we're thinking, okay, my mom had depression, but now due to my lifestyle factors and my nutrition and how I take care of myself, I not have depression. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so in that case, we might look at gene expression that could bias someone towards depression. So not your genes but how they're turned on and off. And yes, diet and lifestyle, all sorts of variables that we are engaging in or not engaging in on a daily basis can influence that and therefore influence our mood and, you know, and beyond that, really everything. Okay, good to know. That is a trendy word that's being thrown around a lot lately. So that was a good explanation. So thank you. Well, let me, let me also add that I think We want to be mindful around uh, people will say that, oh, it's epigenetics or, oh, do this and it's going to change your epigenome or whatever. And, And it is bandied about a lot. And I think there's talk towards being able to influence it beyond where we are scientifically. And so it is, I would encourage people to A, know that they do have a lot of say over gene expression and B, you know, also be mindful that this is a new field as well. And we're just touching the science on it and the research on it. Mm -hmm. That's right. We're just teasing it out. All right. So now I know you talk about DNA methylation and how that's related to aging and chronic illness and things like that. So that's what I wanted to first talk to you about today. But DNA methylation, that's a huge word that a lot of, (laughs) a lot of moms, a lot of just People may Uh, not know if they're not in the science world. So can you explain what DNA methylation is? Sure. It is one of the best studied epigenetic imprints or epigenetic processes. DNA methylation, and if we think about a methyl group, it's a carbon, go back to high school, it's carbon with three hydrogens. In science, when you look at DNA methylation, if you can visualize a strand of DNA or two strands, because it's a double helix, and then you'll see these red lollipops sticking out of a certain region of that DNA. Those red lollipops are the scientific representation of methyl groups. They always use red lollipops. It's kind of funny. And so if you imagine a bunch of red lollipops on a little gene on that DNA, it turns that gene off. That gene can't be, the red lollipops block it. And that's DNA methylation we can remove those methyl groups. And so there'll be very few or no red lollipops, and then that gene can be on. So I'll say, since there's, you know, against just speaking to the moms, when you were carrying your baby, methylation was deciding the fate of those very early pluripotent stem cells. So are you going to become a brain cell or a gut cell or a skin cell or a heart cell? These different lollipops are either on a gene or off a gene and that, you know, directs it. So I'm saying that because it just underscores how extraordinarily important this process is. Uh, And that's one example. Okay. So do we have a say in 
if we move those red lollipops or the DNA methylation or no? We have a huge say in it. Some things we're not going to be changing and we don't want to. Like clearly you don't want a skin cell to turn into a liver cell, you know, so some things are going to be very resilient and not change. Some kinds of DNA methylation marks will not change, but others is that inflammatory gene on, is that, you know, gene that, that helps regulate blood sugar or mood, et cetera. These genes, we have much more say over. So we can think of it as a continuum. Some genes we're not going to near, we're not touching, other genes are more responsive to us and how we're living. That's so interesting. Okay. So tell me how, because you talk about this quite often, how does our biological age relate with this DNA methylation? Yeah, it's so, it is. It's so interesting and cool. We can look at patterns of DNA methylation, again, from in utero, all the way up to centenarians, you know, the longest lived humans. And you can see these really predictable red lollipop patterns that track with age. So if you're, if, if it's in utero, if you're pre-birth, it's going to be a negative number. Isn't that wild? Up to centenarians, which will have predictable patterns of somebody in their, you know, above 100. So you can look at gene expression, look at these red lollipop patterns and say, you know, this person is this age or this age. And it's, it's become what we call in, sci- in science or medicine, the gold standard for measuring biological age. And biological age, so chronological age is the number of years you've been alive. It's the number of birthdays you've celebrated and there's nothing that you can do about it. I always like to say that my sister is 29 again for like the last 20 years. Right. I am too. <laughs> are you, are too? Yeah, right. Me too. You can't do anything about your chronological age, but your biological age, how fast you're physically aging. Again, I want to underscore it's going back to these DNA methylation patterns that we have say over that we can change. We can slow the rate of biological aging. And I would actually argue that we need to be, that we really need to be doing that and thinking about it. And now there's the science out to uh, show us what to look at, what we can measure so that we can see if we are younger biologically. Okay. So you're telling me there are things that I can do to improve my biological age. Yes. And yes. Isn't that cool? I mean, it's, and it's new. I mean, this is, you know, this, the evidence to show that we can slow down and even reverse our biological age is new. The first study showing it, I mean, we knew it could happen in animals, but the first study in humans only came out in 2019. And our study is the very first randomized control study to look at a diet and lifestyle intervention on bioaging. So it's really new. We just published our study in 2021. So it's just very, very new, but it's, it's powerful. It's important. And it's just sort of, for me, it's spine tingling and exciting to this new era. Well, yeah, I'm, as I'm approaching 47, I'm like, tell me all the tips. So let's start talking about some of these things. Cause I would love to slow down my biological aging. So, um, does diet play a role in this? Is that one of the things? Yes. Yes. So we, and another actually cool piece of our study, and we have, I wrote a book about it called Younger You. It's based on our study. So you can have the whole program right there in your hot little hands. Anybody who wants it, it's in the book. Yes. Diet plays a huge role. So we want, we designed a diet exercise, uh, sleep meditation program with a probiotic and a greens powder. We designed this program. Every brick by brick of this program was designed to optimize DNA methylation. And in eight weeks time, we showed that we moved those red lollipops. I mean, this is how cool it is. We moved them around to a more youthful pattern, if you can imagine. So compared to our control group, our treatment group got over three years younger within eight weeks. And the way we were able to tell that is by seeing that we moved those red lollipops towards a more youthful 
biological age. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? And so you asked me about diet, but let me just see if, do you want me to talk about how we did it or? Yeah, sure. Our diet. So again, we are thinking about DNA methylation and how to optimize it. We have two categories of foods, of nutrients, DNA methyl donors, and then these, what we call DNA methylation adaptogens, these two food groups. Together, we refer to them as epinutrients because they influence epigenetics. The methylation donors are, we need to have red lollipops. We need to have an abundance of red lollipops. Those, so these are the methyl donor foods. And then the adaptogens sort of, we think, might help direct where they go. So there's like the, the, the product and then the sort of the director. So donor foods are things you've heard of these nutrients. They're rich in folate. They're rich in B12. They're rich in betaine, uh, choline. They're things that help with methylation. They make the red lollipops. Important nutrients include in this category include beets, which have betaine, um, green leafies, mushrooms like shiitake, enoki, maitake, that have folate and choline, seeds like pumpkin seeds, again, really rich in folate or sunflower seeds. Um, other nuts are great. Fatty acids, so, fatty, so fish like salmon, foods rich in EPA and DHA can be helpful. Eggs, if, you, if you're not a vegan or, veg, or vegetarian, eggs are really important for choline. They help methylation. And then finally, we do some animal protein. We use some animal protein in our study. And a big player, we don't even have to eat a much of it, but it's so important is organ meat, like very, you know, clean source liver. Um, it's packed with folate, with B12, with choline and other important nutrients. And it's so dense. You don't need to eat it every day. You actually don't need to eat much of it. So that's the methyl donor category of, of nutrients and Certainly people are familiar with them and know them to be good. And, the, and you know, this, their ability to help with methylation is a big reason why they're so good. And then the other category are methylation adaptogens. So these we think are directing traffic, directing those red lollipops to go to places we want them. These are nutrients that you're familiar with. Again, this is curcumin and turmeric. We know turmeric is so important for us. EGCG or some of the other catechins in green tea blueberries packed with phyto, phytochemicals, um, sulforaphane or methane. These are $10 words, but these are found in cruciferous veggies. Again, really important. Quercetin is something that a lot of us are familiar with. Another important phytochemical that helps direct, we, sometimes I call them gene whisperers because they just seem to kind of whisper to help us turn on our genes. Resveratrol, uh, lycopene or luteolin and on and on good, important players that seem to direct optimal gene expression. Okay. So this is so interesting because really it, you're just talking about eating a whole food diet. I'm talking <laughs> about eating a whole foods diet. I will say this though, to distinguish, it is loaded up with these methyl donors and adaptogens. Another study came out after we published called the New Age, and this was a year-long Mediterranean diet intervention. So we know a Mediterranean diet is a healthy eating pattern. No one's going to argue with you following a Mediterranean diet. They did not see as profound changes. So it was a year-long and one subgroup of the study, so a small um, subpopulation got just under two years biologically younger over the full year. So it suggests to me, well, two things, that our diet is Mediterranean leaning, but we're turning those DNA methylation nutrients up in really kind of a creative way, if I, if I say so. Like we really designed it for that. The Mediterranean diet isn't designed for DNA methylation. So, so it's a healthy eating pattern with a couple of caveats. Like let's lean heavy on, this, on these particular nutrient groups. The other piece is that we included exercise, sleep, and meditation. So we, it's a multi-variable study. And so there are other pieces that aren't included in the other new age study where they just looked at Mediterranean. Okay. I want to ask you about sleep and exercise, but first I have a few questions mm -hmm. about the food. Yeah, so is yes. there ever a time that like you don't have enough of the donor foods or nutrients in your body? So the apti adaptogen foods don't work? Does that make sense? Like, is there a time uh -huh. when you don't have totally enough makes sense. Yeah, red totally lollipop? Makes 
nutrients? Yeah, that's a good question. So if plenty of people are, I mean, you know, this as a nutritionist, plenty of people are folate deficient, right? Or right. B12 deficient. Right. I mean, we see this all the time. Um, I talk about in the book, why I argue for a food forward approach and not doing isolated vitamins, but I, as a physician, I prescribe B vitamins all the time. There is, I I'm a little bit more nuanced about it. So I want people to get their methyl donors from their food as much as possible. If I need to layer in a B complex or some B12 and folate, I mean, especially like during pregnancy, I mean, there's times when we clearly need more, maybe somebody has, you know, peripheral neuropathy, or maybe somebody's got, um, you know, they're on an antacid and they're just not absorbing B12. There's always reasons why for a period of time, we might need to use some supplements. We might need to turn the volume up on the methyl donor foods. And we could identify that through, you know, laboratory testing, or, you know, if they're working with a doc, their clinical presentation. So I would say that, yeah, you know, there is a time if you're methyl donor depleted, that could be a problem. So, yeah. Okay. So another question for you on this. So the adaptogens are basically, well, I should say the adaptogen foods are moving the DNA, the red lollipops around, right? To a more youthful chain. They're doing more. Yeah. So more than just biological age, they're helping turn good genes on and, and in some cases perhaps inhibit bad genes for sure. Yeah. Okay, so is it correct to say that we're improving DNA methylation or do we say, because sometimes I hear people say, oh, we're slowing DNA methylation, but what's the right terminology for that? Yeah, it's not, I would say improving or balance, I would say balancing is correct because listen, as it's, it's complex, there's a cartoon out there where the speaker is terrified and somebody in this woman's whispering is in his ears and saying, if, if you don't understand, just say it's epigenetics. Like it's really <laughs> complex. It's not a simple, let's slow down DNA methylation. Not at all. In fact, as we age, DNA methylation slows down in general. But when you zero in on different genes, you'll, you'll see that it doesn't just slow down. It actually becomes imbalanced genes that we want on get turned off, get a bunch of red lollipops, genes that we we don't want on get turned on. And we can talk about this in chronic disease because these patterns end up creating vulnerability to all the chronic diseases that are associated with aging. So it isn't a simple slowdown. It's a imbalance that predictably happens with age that increases our risk to all the diseases. It's an imbalance. And you have to be using both of these categories, plus the lifestyle interventions, I think to, to optimize. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you for explaining that. And it makes sense that as we age, it sort of slows down. So, or becomes imbalanced and we want to improve that methylation by balancing it. So yes, it would be a mistake and it would lead to inappropriate treatment if people just said, oh, it slows down. Okay. Then we could all take B vitamins, right? We could all take folate and B12 and live forever. And be good. But that's not the case. Yeah, there's more to it. Okay, so coming from a nutritionist standpoint, I want to know, are there foods that we should avoid because it affects this methylation in a negative way? Yes. And let me just like pop quiz you and say, what do you think those might, like, give me one. What would be like the first thing well, I'm that assu- you might think? I'm assuming sugar causes havoc. Yep. Yes, absolutely. It sure does. We know, we all already know what is probably not good for DNA methylation. And yes, sugar is horrible for so, so many reasons. But we can see there's an interesting animal study where they just gave them like one high sugar exposure and it it wreaked havoc with gene expression, sort of this pro-inflammatory gene expression pattern that lasted for the entire time of the study. So one exposure changed gene expression for the six days of the study, and then they stopped the study. So who knows how long it really was happening. And that's just looking at, looking at animals, high blood sugar, we know is a problem for really everything. And indeed fundamental to that is really gunking up DNA methylation and gene expression. So yeah, we don't want a lot of sugar. In fact, our diet, if you look at it, our nutrient, the dietary pattern is low glycemic. It's higher in fat. It's not crazy high in protein. Um, There are 
our, the carbs are high fiber and, you know, mostly vegetable with some good fruits for the eight week intensive. There's no legume. There's no grain only, you know, again, to help control the sugar spikes, we prescribed a very modest intermittent fasting structure. People can do more if they need to, but we just had 12 hours on 12 hours off. So yes, we wanted it to be a little bit keto leaning and we definitely wanted to control glycemic cycling. So your, your, your hunch was exactly right. So can you say that it's sort of like a anti-inflammatory diet? You're avoiding those inflammatory foods? Yeah. Yep. It absolutely is with you know, again, with the, with the volume turned up on nutrients with evidence behind them for influencing DNA methylation. So yes, in fact, in the book, so we started using this in clinical practice before we actually conducted our research study. Um, and we have patients come to us with all sorts of problems of, and, and need very individualized dietary patterns. And so I created a little bit of a table in the book where you can use the principles of the Younger You program in somebody with SIBO. So how do you layer it in with FODMAP? Or how do you layer it in with maybe a low-protein ketogenic diet in cancer? Or how do you layer it into the autoimmune paleo structure and you know the specific carbohydrates? So I, I covered that because these principles are totally layerable. I would never as a physician say, this is the only diet. Like you have to do this diet. I would say, take these principles and pop them onto the dietary pattern that works for you. Oh, I love that. Thank you for explaining that. So I want to move a little bit away from food and ask you a few other things. So you quickly touched upon exercise. So does exercise improve this balance of methylation? Yeah, it does. In fact, it's such a cool area for me. There's a, a study that came out fairly recently that argued all of exercise benefits are due to changing gene expression. So, you know, via DNA methylation and other epigenetic processes. One of the coolest things in this study, actually, there's a couple of cool things about exercise. Actually, there's three. <laughs> exercise can act like those methylation adaptogens. Like it can act like a nutrient. It can help turn on genes that we really want on. It's just amazing to me. It's so cool. You can think of exercise as a nutrient in this way when you're thinking about DNA methylation. And what's also really cool is that the older we are, the more benefit that we get from exercise in terms of gene regulation. So it's just so cool. One of the scary things about DNA methylation as we age is that we start to turn off genes that protect us from cancer. Oh. We start to shut them down, which prompts us to have this increased risk for cancer as we age. Like aging is a bigger risk factor for cancer than smoking to just give oh, you perspective. Wow. I didn't yeah. know that stat. I know. I know. It's such a profound risk factor, the aging journey. So to see that we can turn that around a with our nutrients, but B with exercise and that we get more bang for our buck as we age to me is so exciting. And the other thing that I want to say about exercise that, you know, is a little tangential, but people can read about it in the book if they want to, and we may get to it more. Some of these patterns, if we're preconception, we can actually hand down to offspring. So it's different than, you know, inheriting DNA. It's like you can your good exercise habits, or conversely, your couch potato exercise or lack of exercise, you can actually hand down some of that to offspring. So the benefits, if you've been working out and you worked out during your pregnancy or whatever, you can actually, you know, influencing your offspring, which I just think is so, so, so cool. So that exercise, is really cool. It's really cool. Exercise is super essential, but we don't want to overdo it. There is some evidence that overdoing it is pro-aging. In our study, we prescribed a very modest five days a week, minimum of 30 minutes with a perceived exertion of 60 to 80% of max. So 60% of max is maybe I'm lightly sweating, but I can still carry on a conversation. You know, like you might be walking or my mom likes to garden. It doesn't have to be couch to CrossFit. Okay. I'm actually smiling as you're saying this because I'm like, Eve, maybe I overdo it. So no. when you're talking about exercise, are you talking cardiovascular, like cardio stuff or weightlifting or a combination or it doesn't matter? So that's a really good question. 
And I want to say first, I just had a pretty intense bike ride and got my heart rate up really high. And I have a background of, of, of competitive cycling and I, and I like to go hard sometimes and I'm not going to not do that because it really makes me happy. Right. Um, and so far my bio age is good. My bio age is, is, is a lot younger than my chronological age. I, one person, 60 to 80% is, is not the other person's it's your 80%. I mean, 80, you can go pretty, pretty hard at 80%. So what I want to say is we wanted to keep it realistic in this study. Uh, and we also wanted to keep it really simple. Probably other people can go, can do, and that was the minimum five days, 30 minutes was the minimum. So you could go every day. I try to go, I try to go every day because it's just such a important sanity. Right. Um, Same with me. I, I like to go at least six days a week. Yeah. So my exercise program is different than yours is different than, you know, my mom's, et cetera. And I think the, and, and resistance training does have some pretty interesting evidence behind it for helping, uh, DNA methylation and gene expression, actually, particularly mitochondrial DNA methylation. It's kind of neat. So we're still teasing it out like the optimal exercise prescription. And I can tell you for sure, it's going to be individualized, but I will say that when, I don't know if you have ever engaged in competitive athletics, but that can be pro-aging when people really turn the volume up. Like I remember, and the evidence suggests that this is true. So I remember in college when I was competing, I got sick at the end of every season. I was so depleted. So clearly that was too much. Right. Um, however, I wouldn't trade it. It was really, you know, it's fun and I'm glad I had the experience, right. but I always got sick. I always got sinusitis at the end of the year, you know, or a cold or, and we can see that we can measure, you know, immune compounds are lower and athletes after their season, et cetera. So it is balanced. It, it is individualized, but in our study we did, we kept it simple. Okay. Well, you saying all of that got me thinking because if it's too much for our body, then stress, stress must play a part in this yeah. as well then. Yes. Yeah, and it sure does. Gr another really good question. So here's the thing. A friend of mine asked me to distinguish when you're doing your interviews, Kara, you need to distinguish like toxic stress and, you know, healthy stress. So exercise is stressful on our bodies and that stress is actually, it's called horm hormetic. It's a hormetic stress. It's a beneficial stress. It actually makes us turn the volume up on cleansing, on, makes us make our own antioxidants. It makes us build, you know, more mitochondria so that we can generate more energy. We make more muscle, et cetera. So the stress of exercise, of sane exercise, not, you know, overdoing it right. exercise, but the stress of sane exercise is incredibly beneficial. The stress of sane living, like, I don't know, you're reaching higher in your career or, you know, you're excited because your kids got, you know, their dance final or, you know, like these, these sort of stressful, but exciting events, they're part of life. They're the stuff of life and they're healthy, they're healthy. Um, and they, they help us get stronger, but there is this toxic stress that we know in this country all too well. And we know it, especially, you know, with, with COVID when we were so isolated and anxious and disconnected and, oh my God, stress was so hard. And we know it, you know, in, I'm thinking about my town where it's a commuter town and there's cars everywhere and people are working hard and, you know, too hard. And you're going from one thing to the other, to the other, that stress is pro aging. I would say that it's like gasoline on the fire of aging, that toxic stress. When we don't remedy it, when we don't step out of it, sometimes is extremely pro aging. That doesn't surprise the, me. Yes. The clock that we use, the biological age clock. So that's, so again, looking at DNA methylation patterns, a full 25% of it is influenced by glucocorticoids, by our stress, our, fund, our foundational oh, wow. stress hormone. Yes. And they're associated with the chronic diseases of aging. There's no other variable that seems to influence that particular clock as much as stress. Wow. Yeah. That, so to that end, I just want to, I want to say that we, we had to include some sort of a de-stress experience. I mean, our exercise is one, but we did include uh, a modest meditation practice. Well, that's what I was just going to ask you because I was going to say everyone I know is stressed. We're yeah. on this, you know, using too much adrenaline as we're just running yes. from thing to thing. So it's learning to manage our stress. And yes. so 
is meditation then the best thing you think? I want to say it's learned to it's learning to manage our stress, but it's like taking it seriously. I and I put myself in this category where for a long time I paid lip service to how stressed I am. It took me a while, in fact, sitting in the science to really take it seriously. Oh yeah, I can talk about how stressed I am and how tough my road is and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you need to do something about it. Um, and I see it in practice and with, with my patients. So stress drives aging forward. Meditation, yoga, tai chi, all have beneficial longevity effects. So they improve biological age. We chose to use meditation, a modest meditation um, exercise, because the research on meditation is that, you know, a, one, you know, just a, a very simple practice will improve gene expression and people who practice regularly are biologically younger. Um, so we included that. So you don't have to, you know, retire to the monastery on the mountain, even one exercise can show some benefits, but if, but, but you, if you cultivate it over time, it can have, um, it can offset the effects of stress and have, you know, just a longevity component to it. So it's, it's really pretty extraordinary. That is, I wish they taught it like in elementary school meditation. And then it yeah. just became a part of our life where everybody just meditated every day and you just knew that's what people did. Yes. And I'm sure that there are some sort of more progressive schools that might do that in other countries. They do that. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So we've talked about foods that affect this methylation and lifestyle factors, exercise, stress, things like that. But now I'm actually really curious when you talk about aging um, Mm -hmm. and balancing this DNA methylation, are we talking about like this can actually help someone live longer or is it just reversing physical signs of aging like um, wrinkles and things like that? Yes. The intention is that this improves health span and lifespan. The expectation using these biological age clocks, they're what we call surrogate markers. So they suggest improved longevity, but, but really more important than longevity because we can prop somebody up in a nursing home and pack them full of drugs and, you know, keep them around. Right. But they're not really there. They're a shell of who they are. So more important than longevity is, you know, quality of life. So that's health span. And so we think that with biological age slowdown or biological age reversal, that we are in fact improving health span and lifespan. So we can improve like those wrinkles and losing of hair and things like that. So definitely what we put into our body is going to obviously influence what we look like on the outside. I would not say that the Young You program is going to reverse alopecia. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I would love to be able to say that, but it's not true. I want to say though, and in the very final chapter of the book, I, I, I speak to some of the interventions coming down the pike. So longevity science, they call it biogerontology is hot, 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 hot right now. Like people, scientists are looking at some really advanced interventions that fall outside of diet and lifestyle. Um, some of them are, I'm, pay, I'm paying attention. I think they're pretty cool. I think they're exciting. I think some of them are completely crazy, but to give you an example, Jeff Bezos and some other billionaire guys have mm-hmm. invested in a lab called Altos that has recruited the very top biogerontologist scientists. And there are, there's labs around the world. They've invested billions of dollars into those interventions that will really like change age, change what aging is in the world. And so, you know, oh, that's interesting. Or, yeah, it's a, it's an extraordinary time right now in this particular field of science. Well, I guess everybody, these older people just don't want to age. So they're going to invest their money into how they can stop that aging process. And one of the things that I'll tell you that's super, super cool is that it does appear that their focus is uh, in large part around DNA methylation and demethylation. So, you know, our humble diet and lifestyle program was on to something, you know, in the, in the beginning. So before that's that's exciting. It is cool. It is, and but our humble diet and lifestyle isn't going to like turn you biologically back into a teenager, right? Um, but I can tell you at some of these advanced labs, they are, they are thinking about that. 
That's really interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that. Talking about lifespan, though, I want to touch upon chronic illness. You touched upon that Mm -hmm. just a little bit at the beginning. So how does DNA methylation play a role in chronic illness? Well, as I said in the beginning, aging increases the risk for all of these chronic diseases and all of these chronic diseases make us age. So it's like a chicken and an egg phenomena. People who are diabetic are on average like six to nine years biologically older than their you know, same age peers. So it's, it's like a chicken and the egg. And we can see that disordered epigenetics and you know, a chief piece is DNA methylation seems to drive these vulnerabilities. In our country, we are aging faster biologically than other countries. Probably no great surprise with our stress and some of our other habits. And our food. Um, yes, <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. So we are biologically aging faster. To me, it's absolutely unacceptable that, you know, we've got at least two, the majority of us at, by six, the age 63 have at least two significant illnesses oh, and wow. that we're on medication. Yeah. And so if our lifespan is, you know, 79 or so we're spending well over a decade, a decade and a half with significant illnesses. And I think about it, you know, I'm a, I'm a mom, I know you're a mom of six, which that's incredible. Um, I'm a mom to one. And I started late. I started late. My career was first and, and I absolutely don't want my daughter you know, her inheritance, her time to be devoted to taking care of me or, mm-hmm. you know, selling our house so that I can afford to leave, live in a skilled nursing facility where I'm barely present. Like the idea of the fact that we've improved lifespan in our culture in this country without commensurate health span is an entire travesty. You know, so the money's going to the hospitals yeah. and it's going to medications and skilled nursing facilities. And that's just not okay. We have to nip this in the bud. And that is our culture right now, us taking mm-hmm. care of our parents or putting them yes. in these skilled nursing homes. Yes, exactly right. I know. I, I know there's a, a colleague here in our practice whose mom is in a skilled facility now with, you know, with dementia and, and the pain of that journey is, it's just so great. And many, many, many of us are in that. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this the things that increase chronic illness, are they the same things that increase this imbalance of DNA methylation and then vice versa? The things that decrease chronic illness are the things that help balance DNA methylation. Do they go hand in hand? I would say that that is probably true. I think that that's reasonable. I mean, because if you look at our program, it's healthy, just as you said in the very beginning right? It's low, it's low in sugar. There's no processed foods. You're moving your body, you're de-stressing, you're getting enough sleep, et cetera. So it's just like the smart things we know that, that help us. So I would say that that, that that is, um, on balance, you know, true. And I would say that we're still building our evidence. Okay. So you've said a couple of times, um, that your biological age is younger than how old you really are. So how do you know that? Is there a test that people can go do to see what yeah. their biological age is? Yes, there sure is. There's a, there's a handful of labs now offering this uh, assessment to regular people. Uh, so you don't have to go through your doctor. I, I want to say, interestingly, when we started our study in the beginning of 2018, they were not available. Oh, <laughs> wow. Like so it's brand yeah, new. It is. They're, they're just coming into the front. I think there might've been one test available back then, but so there's a few, few ways you can do it. It's not a cheap test. So one of the things that we offer folks, it's in the book again, or you can get it for free. If you go to youngeryouprogram.com, youngeryouprogram.com, we have a biological age self-assessment. So this is a questionnaire you can take. It's free and it's, look for BASA, B-A-S-A. And that's a really fun start. That's no charge. And you can see where you stack up and then we'll send you your report to see what you can do better. For myself, my biggest, my weaknesses during the work week, I'm sitting (laughs) too long. I need to get up and move around more. Um, But you can, it's just kind of a fun test. For those of you who want to actually get into having a DNA methylation, biological age clock done. I mentioned a handful of them in the resources in the book, but the company that we're working with now, so we have an app for this program, uh, but the company we're working with for this is, is called, is a laboratory called true diagnostic T R U diagnostics. 
and um, that you can buy directly through them or you can get it through our app, which you can also find at youngeryouprogram.com. True Diag- and the reason we're working with True Diagnostics is that they are using the same technology that we used in our research study. So they've got a good laboratory. They're doing really good work, but it's unfortunately, it's actually way, way, way cheaper than we did our study. So the prices are coming down, but it's still, it's not a cheap test. I'm, I, I, I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of, of maybe four or $500 right now. Okay. So with this test, are we talking, it's like a blood draw or a saliva it's test a, or? It's, yeah. So it's a blood, it's a blood spot test. So if okay. you're, if you're, if you're squeamish about giving blood or, you know, about doing some, some kind of a test, you either have your doctor do it, or maybe your spouse or friend can, you know, sort of help you collect it. Um, but the true diagnostic test is a blood spot test. There so, are some other labs where you can, you can do saliva. Um, another, there's a lab called my DNA age. They will do a saliva analysis. Okay. Like yeah. on this blood draw. Are they seeing how many red lollipops you have to, and yeah. where those red yep. lollipops are? Um, yep. Okay. They sure are. Yep. It's very interesting. It's very exciting. They actually look at a lot of different clocks. Um, and you'll, and if you want that, if you really want to geek out, you know, you can order it through them. I, I would encourage people to join us in the app if they want to. The price point for the test is a little bit cheaper because we're bundling it into the whole program, which is the study. You actually have nutrition access to the nutrition team who helped us conduct the study as well. So if you want to, if you want some really nice, fun handholding, join us in the app structure, or if you're just eager to go and jump in, you know, and you want it, go to the lab. Okay. Good to know. So Thank you so much for giving all of this information today. I um, have learned a lot. I know my listeners have learned a lot. Are there any other tips that you want to share to the listeners about this DNA methylation and improving the balance of it? You know, I would say that it's a very exciting time in science and medicine. We are able to see a lot of these tried and true time immemorial interventions have a big deal effect on gene expression. It's such a validating, exciting time. We, the, the promise of this is that we are in the driver's seat of our destiny. The challenge is that we are in the driver's seat of our destiny. I think of food these days as the information I'm putting in my body. So when I'm building out my, the salad that I'm going to, or whatever I'm bringing into the office, I look at it as this information and the, you know, the buck really stops with me. And so it's exciting. It's powerful, impactful, and, you know, we've got a responsibility. Yeah. And I have a question that I just thought of that I want that maybe some listeners are thinking about, and I should have asked you this with chronic illness, but you're talking about the food and we know that the food can improve so many things and balance the methylation. So when we're talking about balancing the methylation, we've talked a lot about that improving our aging. And we talked Mm -hmm. about that improving our chronic illnesses out there. So can this also play a role in helping us with all sorts of things like depression and migraines and joint issues and fatigue and cancer and heart issues. I mean, does it apply to all of those health conditions? I would say that it does. And, but I would say that I, the reason I suspect that is because we've used this in clinical practice for years. I have not researched this program with cancer patients, for example, but I have used it in clinical practice. And yes, absolutely. We see those kinds of benefits. And certainly in our population, we see, you know, in the, in the, in the study population and in the the folks in the app, by the way, the women are doing better than the men right now in the app in our most recent cohort, they actually got biologically younger by almost five years on average. Wow. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. So I would love to partner with people and do a little bit more research. I, I, I've had a couple of scientists reach out to me wanting to use this program and, you know, with cancer patients and with some other, you know, with, with some other uh, disease uh, processes. And I'm just so excited about that as a possibility. And my suspicion, because they are biologically older, my suspicion is that we may see even, you know, greater reversal in bio age because our wow. populations are healthy. 
the ones that we've studied. Wow. Well, I'm excited to see what you guys um, research and find out over the years. I'm sure the studies are going to be incredible with all of you that are studying this. And I have so many questions about this. I could go on and on, but we'll, uh, we'll wrap up for our listeners. So just tell my listeners where they can find you and your book. Yeah. So they can find me and my clinic and my team here. Actually, I have a podcast and all sorts of stuff at my, at drcarafitzgerald.com. So that's sort of my hub, drcarafitzgerald.com. The book itself and the app are at youngeryouprogram.com, but you can get the book wherever books are sold. Okay. Good to know. So I always end my podcasts with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient to their life. What would you say it is? I would say that's such a good question. It's the one thing that we couldn't study (laughs) because we have a control group and we couldn't sort of omit this from the control group. I would say that it's love, you know, and I want to say that the love hormone oxytocin is a longevity molecule and you're, we're going to want, you're going to want to ask me questions about that, but that's, that's the best ingredient, love, connection, passion. Wow. That's yeah. I could ask you a lot of things about that longevity (laughs) molecule because it makes sense as I'm thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, I can see how that can improve and balance methylation. So you know, my girl, my daughter is four and it's not long that I don't know how old your kids are, but my it's, I have that oxytocin, that early bonding, just that love bless that you experience. I mean, it does, you can see that that would be a longevity molecule, right? Yep, it's just sure. calming and yeah. Sure. And we can get that from, we can get that from our puppies, from, you know, connection elsewhere. We can help stoke it with exercise, with cuddling. And so it doesn't just have to be having a, having a baby on your lap. There's many other ways we can, we can get that. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause that's great to know it can be with your partner and your dog yeah. or any of yeah. those connections. Your so community. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being here. I have really enjoyed our conversation. I have learned things I know my listeners have. So thank you again for all that you're doing to help all of us. And thank you for taking the time to be here. Absolutely. It was just so fun to talk to you. Good questions. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.